Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Before we jump in, and we're going to jump in, oh man, both feet are ready. I want to tell you a little story about something that happened on this date. On May 5th, 1787, is written by Joseph Ellis at the American Heritage, great historian. On May 5, 1787, James Madison arrived in Philadelphia. It's important to remember this. Because your liberties are being destroyed, particularly by iron-fisted, blue-state megalomaniacs. He was a diminutive young Virginian, about 5 feet 3 inches tall, 130 pounds, and 36 years old. Who, it so happened, had thought more deeply about the political problems posed by the current government under the Articles of Confederation than any other American. Madison had concluded that the loose confederation of states was about to collapse. That the full promise of the American Revolution, liberty and order, an independent American nation was about to be lost. And that only the wholesale replacement of the feeble authority of the Articles by a central government of vastly expanded, truly national powers, although limited, could rescue the infant republic from anarchy, possible civil and petty internecine war, and the likely return of predatory European powers to American soil. He was poised to make the case that the other delegates gathering in Philadelphia for the Constitutional Convention, most of whom were moderates who presumed they were there to reform the Articles, whereas Madison was one of the radical minority that regarded the Articles as beyond repair and wished to replace them altogether. He quickly discovered that he was the beneficiary of two pieces of good luck. The first was that the leading member of the Virginia delegation, none other than George Washington, agreed with his political diagnoses. Quote, the situation of the general government, if it could be called a government, is shaken to its foundations, Washington declared upon his arrival in Philadelphia. In a word, it is at an end, and unless a remedy is soon applied, anarchy and confusion will inevitably ensue. Madison's second stroke of good fortune was that the entire Virginia delegation had arrived on time. With the other state delegations, took three weeks to gather and create a quorum. Now this meant that Madison enjoyed a a providential interval during which he could lobby his fellow Virginians about the acute character of the political crisis and the radical reforms necessary to avert it. There are no records of the many conversations that occurred in the boarding houses and taverns between May 5 and May 29, with the Constitutional Congress officially assembled. 
but going by the document that emerged from the deliberations known as the Virginia Plan. Madison most probably conducted a nonstop seminar. He had all the information at his fingertips, the sorry history of all European confederacies, the abject failure of the state governments to maintain fiscal discipline, the inability of the Confederation Congress to raise revenue to pay off debts incurred during the war, and the lack of any coherent foreign policy. All of these concerns resulted in the 15-point plan, the Virginia Plan, which recommended a fully empowered central government consisting of three branches, executive, legislative, and judicial. In effect, it posited the wholesale replacement of a confederation, where sovereignty resided in the states by a truly national government. Madison pushed hard for a provision that gave the new federal government a veto over state laws, But Edmund Randolph and George Mason insisted on softening this bold assertion of federal power with more ambiguous language. As a result, when the Constitutional Convention officially assembled on May 29, Madison's extraordinary diligence enabled the Virginia delegation to seize the initiative. No one on the moderate side of the argument had come to Philadelphia with equivalently clear proposals for a simple tinkering with the Articles. So the radical agenda embodied in the Virginia Plan, commanded the field by default. From the moderate point of view, and even more so from those delegates who opposed any reform of the Articles, Madison's maneuvers behind the scenes represented an orchestrated coup de main, a remarkably deft hijacking of the debate by a minority of radical nationalists. Over the next three months, Madison was forced into repeated compromises. His proposal for a federal power to override state laws never gained any traction. And his insistence that both branches of the legislature be based on population was rejected in favor of a state-based Senate and population-based House. Madison took both of these defeats hard, and when the convention adjourned, he departed Philadelphia fearful that the final document would prove inadequate to sustain the United States as a coherent union. He was wrong about that, at least until 1861, when the core question of federal against state sovereignty became necessary to resolve on the battlefield. But by defining the terms of the debate with his Virginia colleagues in late May of 1787, Madison had established a framework that placed advocates of modest reform on the defensive throughout the convention and thereby made some kind of consolidated, sorry, reading with one eye, consolidated American nation not only possible but likely. In retrospect, the most important conversations that occurred during that sweltering summer took place before the delegates convened. This was little Jemmy Madison's most influential and consequential moment because it defined the terms of the debate and the collective terms that made the federal government a supportive embodiment of us or we the people rather than an alien embodiment of them. Now, Madison had almost 50 years of public service before him to include the Secretaryship of State under Thomas Jefferson and the presidency in his own right. And his constitutional posture shifted on several occasions over those years. And he had misfortune to be the only sitting president to have the national capital laid waste by invaders during his tenure. Life during the most formative phase of the nation's identity, especially political life at the highest level, is always hard. But looking back... With all the advantages of hindsight, we can say without much doubt that May 1787 was Madison's finest hour. May 5, 1787. 
Nobody, but nobody has discussed this today. Nobody. And for the progeny of Marx and Hegel and Rousseau, those who now control and occupy the Democrat Party, Madison is a disaster because the Constitution is a disaster. And the progressives, not just Woodrow Wilson, but scores of others, has spent the last century overturning the Constitution. That's exactly what they've done, as I pointed out, in Rediscovering Americas and changing our system altogether. And they're doing it today. There was a very powerful piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday by a congressman named Bradley Byrne. Bradley Byrne is a Republican from Alabama's 1st Congressional District. Well, you think about Madison, now think about this. He says, for nearly two months, my staff and I have been fielding calls from the people of, the so- of southwest Alabama, small business owners, bankers, seniors, and many others. The government's response to coronavirus is affecting their livelihoods, and their congressman may be the only voice they have in Washington. When the lights are turned off in the committee rooms and on the floor of the House, who's watching out for them? Who's holding Washington accountable? More important than the flawed message Congress's absence sends to the American people, that the representatives value personal protection over their constituents' interests, is the reality. When nobody is around, it is easier to make backroom deals, and Speaker Nancy Pelosi is taking advantage She has consolidated the power of the institution of the House in her person. Without lawmakers there to speak up for their districts and influence the legislative process, Mrs. Pelosi has made herself the sole voice and negotiator for the House of Representatives as it passes massive funding and regulatory bills. The Congress sits at home. We don't hear about legislative compromises and breakthroughs between a chairman and the ranking member. Instead, what matters is when and how often Mrs. Pelosi has been on the phone with White House officials. Her mode of operating is crystal clear. Once the speaker feels she has gained maximum concessions from President Trump, then she calls the House back to Washington to be quickly and quietly herded into the chamber to cast an up or down vote, bypassing committees, markups, and every process that gives most lawmakers a voice. We are told no amendments are possible, and we shouldn't even get close to the floor of the House until it is our turn to vote. We have added trillions to the nation's debt and affected millions of Americans' lives in this ridiculous sham of a process. The coronavirus has given Mrs. Pelosi the greatest control over the House of Representatives of any speaker in the history of the United States. Fear of the virus has given her an excuse to send 434 of us home and essentially say, see you when I need you. And before Republicans objected two weeks ago, she even sought an amendment to House rules to allow for proxy voting. Now, under this plan, representatives wouldn't even need to return to Washington to vote and pass legislation. They could simply hand over their voting cards to Mrs. Pelosi or one of her lieutenants, and they would vote for them. 
I'm not saying the House should throw caution to the winds. Common sense steps could help with social distancing and prevent the spread of COVID-19 in Congress. But the founders couldn't possibly have wanted a government in which the Speaker replaces the House she is supposed to lead. Maybe we should have expected this. Mrs. Pelosi has always enjoyed holding power. When Obamacare passed the House, she made a good show of asking committees to mark up bills. But none of those bills ever reached the floor. Instead, they were tossed aside. And the real bill was rewritten behind closed doors by the Speaker's office. Mrs. Pelosi then blocked all but one Republican amendment before jamming the bill through. After eight years in the minority, Mrs. Pelosi returned to Speaker in January 2019. House Democratic arms were twisted to vote her back into the chair with promises that things would be different, that her high-handed manner was a thing of the past. But given power again, it's only gotten worse. While the Senate works in Washington this week, the House will again be told to stay home and wait on the Speaker to let us know when she has cut the next deal. Mrs. Pelosi has made clear that she thinks America's elected representatives are non-essential. That's fine with her. No doubt her job is easier when she doesn't need to worry about us and our constituents. But enough is enough. It's time for the people's representatives to have a voice in their federal government. And I might add, for the people to have a voice through their representatives in their federal government. So this is what's going on. She doesn't care about the health and safety of the members of the House of Representatives. She's been able to coalesce all power within herself to make herself effectively the House of Representatives, ironically enough. Where she writes the bills, she determines the schedules, she determines the votes, she determines when people can come to the floor of the House. We call that a fascist, where I come from. Nancy Pelosi is a fascist. I've said this for years, and I've said it multiple times. Madison would be disgusted and shocked by Pelosi, the fascist. Our media thinks she's terrific. The Democrat Party thinks she's terrific. She's a fascist. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you wake up this morning to what? To the media attacking Donald Trump. 
whether it's the New York Times or whatever it is. The New York Times is pushing an alleged report showing 3,000 COVID deaths per day by June 1. And it's not true. It's not the official number from the government, but it doesn't matter. A friend of mine in California wrote me today, and here's what he said, and it was so right on. I know he's brilliant because his first name is the same as mine, Mark. He said, as long as the media and the scientists in the government keep pushing the line that we're going to reach 3,000 deaths a day by June, July, or August. They create panic. They create fear. And they create an environment for more iron-fisted, centralized government. Where the people are willing to surrender their common sense, their experience, their knowledge, and their know-how. Because of panic and fear. And that, ladies and gentlemen, sums it up. These phony models. Dr. Fauci, even more than Dr. Birx, is about panic and fear. Yes, 80,000, 100,000, 120,000 may die. And you know what? For the most part, we have no control over it. We can mitigate on the edges. But we shouldn't destroy our country. Liberty is so precious. We have lost millions of men and women over the course of our history defending it. Defending it. I have no idea where these governors have gotten the power of martial law. I don't know where it comes from. It doesn't come from the United States Constitution. I doubt it comes from any state constitution. What is it coming from? Tyrannical federal judiciary that upholds virtually every one of their tyrannical decisions? And my great fear, as I told you a few weeks ago, is that these governors, these bureaucrats, these scientists, so-called, are going to get used to this. And if Donald Trump isn't president and somebody else is, God forbid, they're going to get used to it, too. That's why these protests are important, and it's important to raise your voices. More when I return. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin, Liberty's General Patton. Call into the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. Okay, I want to remind you folks, have you downloaded the podcast platform yet? I really want to encourage you to do this. Um, and some of you will find out shortly why. I want to encourage you to do it. Mark, you, you trust me, right? It's very simple. Go to MarkLevinShow.com, Mark, L-E-V-I-N, Show.com. That's our homepage on our radio website. You click on the audio rewind at the middle top of the homepage. It's right there, simple as day. That'll take you to the podcast page. We made it three clicks away. And there you decide which platform you want, and you download it. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast. A lot of people like the Apple, but choose whatever you wish. So that's MarkLevinShow.com. Click on Audio Rewind, middle of the top of the homepage, and uh, that'll take you to the podcast page, and then pick the platform that you want. I want to strongly, strongly encourage you to do that, and I'll continue to do it for the next few days. I wanted to talk to you again and about this story in the New York Times. The New York Times just now blatantly lies. Blatantly lies. This from the Daily Wire. New York Times pushes alleged reports showing 3,000 COVID deaths per day by June 1. White House, that's not true. On Monday, rumors circulated that the United States is predicted to have 200,000 new confirmed cases and 3,000 novel coronavirus deaths daily by June 1. The New York Times, for example, ran with the report, suggesting the modeling figures were attributed to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, and cited in a presentation by FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. The Trump administration pushed back on the reporting Monday night, noting the model data is not reflective of any of the modeling done by the task force, nor has it been properly vetted or presented during a White House task force meeting. So somebody in the bureaucracy, no doubt a scientist, leaked this information to the media, especially the New York Times, to try and undermine the president's task force in the middle of a pandemic. The daunting New York Times report positioned the alleged internal data against President Donald Trump's promise to start reopening the American economy. Quote, as President Trump presses for states to reopen their economies, his administration is privately projecting a steady rise in the number of coronavirus cases and deaths over the next several weeks, the Times reports. The daily death toll will reach about 3,000 on June 1, according to an internal document obtained by the New York Times, a 70% increase from the current number of about 1,750. But according to the Trump administration, the CDC and Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, that is not true. The president's phase guidelines to open up America again are a scientific-driven approach that the top health and infectious disease experts in the federal government agreed with. The statement continued a clear rebuke of the Times' political angle, hitting Trump for advancing any economic reopening of the country. The health of the American people remains President Trump's top priority, and that will continue as we monitor the efforts by states to ease restrictions, the statement concluded. 
Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health released a statement similarly, pushing back against the Times report, noting that it included preliminary analyses and emphasizing that was not intended to be used as forecasts, and it's not accurate to present them as forecasts. But it didn't matter. The New York Times ran with it. Why? To attack the president and to attack his desire to see the economy open up, people get jobs, businesses open up again, and the economy pick up. The New York Times is the enemy of the people. If you're going to run slop like this for the purpose of trying to harm the president and you don't really care about the newsworthiness of it or the accuracy of it, then what the hell are you but the enemy of the people? Certainly looks that way to me. And it's not just there. It's, it's over and over and over again. In so many areas of the economy, so many areas of our society. Let's take this Nancy Pelosi. She's a fascist. She'll only call Congress back to vote on what she tells them to vote on. And the Democrats who are behind her, don't, don't, you know, you've got these Democrats who position themselves and try to pretend that, that really, ladies and gentlemen, they're moderates who want to do the right thing, but they vote for impeachment, they vote for Nancy Pelosi to be speaker, and they vote for her agenda. You got a few of these lunatics in New York and New Jersey, Pennsylvania, California, Orange County areas. They're liars. Again, the Daily Wire. House Democrats, led by Speaker Pelosi, are, quote, forging ahead, unquote, with plans for a fourth coronavirus relief package, even though Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said the Senate will not entertain any spending bills until they can be sure the multi-trillion handouts won't topple the precarious American economy. Political reports that Democrats have decided to go it alone on the package, Drafting the measure without Republican input, and frankly, they're drafting it without almost anybody's input. This is Pelosi and the thugs that surround her. Even though House Democrats have yet to officially return for the April recess. Right. Pelosi, Hoyer, all those stooges, they're working on this bill. Pelosi and House Majority Leader Representative Stempy Hoyer have called time on Democrats' return, they say, over fears that the most elderly caucus would be at risk, the most elderly in the caucus, for contracting and spreading the coronavirus. Well, luckily, Andrew Cuomo's not running the House caucus then because he'd be sending the most elderly into nursing homes with coronavirus-positive patients. While they're working from home, though, key Democratic legislators are to compile wish lists and submit them to Pelosi, who, Politico says, will compile them into a final document to be presented when Congress finally convenes. Wow, that's representative government. Speaker Pelosi asked her chairman to submit their drafts for CARES too, before the close of business yesterday, with the goal of releasing a sweeping proposal by tomorrow. Check that, by Friday. That could be ready for a floor vote as soon as next week. Ladies and gentlemen, aren't you sick and tired of being cut out of this process? Pelosi and her lieutenants secretly do this stuff, have it by Friday, have a vote on Monday, and you don't know what the hell's going on? You have no idea what your Congress is doing, what your government's doing? The media don't either, except selective elements of the media to whom they leak? 
McConnell is poised to refuse to bring a massive spending bill to the floor, but Pelosi seems to believe that if Democrats compile a policy wish list, they can use the bloated draft to negotiate down to a suitable bill. And the Republicans have been suckers for this now repeatedly. For her part, she's reportedly including items from her March CARES Act 3 proposal, which sidelined that relief for days as Senate Republicans and Democrats who'd previously agreed on a relief package argued over Pelosi's minutia. See, Pelosi's got this figured out because she's fascist. Use the iron fist, pull together what you want in a bill, shoot real high on the dollar numbers, negotiate the Republicans down, they'll negotiate them down a bit, get a few of your goodies through, and just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and eventually you'll get most of what you want. The longer the pandemic goes on, the more powerful Nancy Pelosi becomes. The longer the pandemic goes on, the more powerful the central government becomes. Despite all the clown show opinion writing, the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. Included there and potentially in CARES 4 bill was a bailout of the United States Post Office, a major handout to state and local governments. The latter, at least, is expected to be a major point of contention between Democrats and Republicans. Right, because they want us to bail out Democrat states. Then you get the Democrat states saying, we put more into the federal government than Kentucky. Then you should be voted out of office. Then you shouldn't support a big centralized government. But the people in New York are leaving New York. Many of the people in California are leaving California. They're leaving Illinois. Why? Because they're soft tyrannies. That's why. Republicans told Politico that any new relief package must include liability restrictions. Democrats say they won't support, of course, because the Democrats are bought and paid for by the trial lawyers. You notice the trial lawyers are never regulated by Washington, D.C., Neither are the colleges and universities because they pour out the dummies and the trial lawyers provide the elected dummies with their money. You have to understand the Democrat Party uses the government to reward its base and those who fund them and to punish the Republican base and those who fund that. That's what they do with their power. And so that is what's going on. And in addition... They want to have hearings on how badly this crisis has been handled. Does anybody remember any major hearings after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor? Do you? Does anybody? Anybody remember hearings on Roosevelt that he didn't act fast enough to stop the Nazis? Or Imperial Japan? Anybody remember hearings on that? During the war? During the war. Of course not. These people are really diabolical, and they're trying to use the legislative process, not for oversight, ladies and gentlemen, but for sabotage. All the time, the President of the United States has been in Washington, he's been at the White House, he's been in meetings with God knows how many people. He hasn't been scared. He doesn't hide under the table. He sits behind it. It's called the resolution desk. Nancy Pelosi has been in Napa Valley at her estate, which is walled off and protected, filling her face with ice cream. 
And where's Chuck Schumer been? He's been in his basement using Skype to communicate with the liberal media. These two have done nothing to help this country. Not a thing. At no time have they said to the President of the United States or the Executive Branch, what can we do to help you? What can we do to put our differences aside? What can we do to help our people? Schumer in particular, considering what took place in New York, nothing. Nothing. And then the media say, it's Trump who doesn't want to unite us. It's Trump who doesn't want to unite us. You've got this so-called Lincoln Project. It's not a Lincoln Project. It's a John Wilkes Booth Project. They're trying to politically assassinate the President of the United States. These are slobs, miscreants, malcontents, reprobates, all assorted of sorts of, uh, of political uh, inner thigh rashes who have come together, a slovenly group, to use Lincoln's name and Reagan's name to try and defeat the President of the United States. And they take Morning in America, one of the great commercials of any election, by Ronald Reagan, and they try and use it against Trump. And they claim to represent Reagan. They don't represent Reagan. The vast majority of people who worked in the Reagan administration and voted for Reagan are big supporters of Trump. Art Laffer, Ed Meese, I can go, Mark Levin, I could go on and on. Bill Crystal was a hanger on. I don't remember that slob, George, what's his name, Conway? George Conman? I don't remember him. Hey, George, you might want to, you know, ease up on the tasty cakes there, buddy. You might want to. Or maybe not, actually. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. As someone who served in the Reagan administration, as somebody who 1976 is a very young man, campaign for the insurgency of Reagan and his campaign against Gerald Ford. Campaign for him again in 1980. Served eight years in his administration at the White House as an associate director of presidential personnel at the Interior Department as the number two lawyer, deputy solicitor. 
at the Department of Justice as Chief of Staff to Attorney General Ed Meese. I am disgusted with these pathetic never-Trumpers who are using the media and the media using them to besmirch Reagan, to besmirch Lincoln, to besmirch all of us as they go on their effort in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of this crisis, to aid and comfort to the president's enemies, his domestic enemies. It sickens me to my stomach. And I want to talk about this some more, particularly in the next hour. And the media are leading this. Nobody would know who these pukes are but for the media. And you actually have so-called journalists like Dan Abrams, who was paid to be a legal analyst at ABC News. He's all over cable starting these various shows and so PD, live PD, and so forth, who set up these sites like Mediaite, which is Mediaocreite, which have as their sole purpose to give additional legs to legless hosts and shows. It's like Drudge. Drudge has gone full David Brock. He's gone full Media Matters. Trashing the President of the United States day in and day. It's a depressing sight. I can't even look at it anymore. You know, when life is in chaos, you're a home. And by the way, where are my fellow conservative broadcasters on this? They don't say a word. Why are they so cowardly? None of them say a damn thing about it. You want to see a good site? Go to Bongino's site, the Bongino Report. It's a great aggregation site. It's terrific. Or go to Instapundent. Or go to Right Scoop. Or go to Red State. And there's so many others. And you have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to see what's going over at the Drudge Report, at Mediocreite, and all the rest of the media. So I'm just stating the obvious. So where are all my brothers and sisters in the media that like to pat themselves on the head for being so courageous? They're nowhere. They're gutless. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I promise you, I will be getting to calls today. Unfortunately, I didn't get to any yesterday, I don't think. You know, uh, back in 1984, when Ronald Reagan was running for re-election, I want to remind you, the first two years of his presidency were very, very tough. He inherited a very terrible economy from Jimmy Carter. There was very high inflation, which is what I'm fighting against today with the out-of-control Congress, particularly Pelosi and Schumer. These people are Insane. Insane. And they always blame other people for the consequences of their ludicrous policies, by the way. But Reagan, with the help of the Fed, Volcker, they, they squeezed inflation out of the currency. The economy was just beginning to explode with growth. 
jobs that went on for through the uh, Bush 41 presidency and right into the Bill Clinton presidency. That's how huge this economic expansion was. And we were doing exactly the same thing, massive economic expansion until this virus. But I want you to listen to this ad in 1984, and I want you to keep something in mind. The New York Times endorsed Reagan's opponent, Walter Mondale. The Washington Post endorsed Reagan's opponent, Walter Mondale. NBC, CBS, and ABC had done one hit after another on Reagan as being trigger-happy, going to create a nuclear war, that he was irresponsible, that he wasn't smart. It's long before cable, really. And they were relentless. But the American people felt pretty damn good. And Reagan went on to win the greatest landslide in American history, short of George Washington's. That is, he won every single state except Minnesota, the home of Walter Mondale, and he lost that state by 20-some hundred or 30-some hundred votes, which means 1,500 or so votes switching the other way, he would have won all 50 states. He received almost 60% of the vote and almost every single electoral college vote. Not D.C., not Minnesota, But New York, New Jersey, Illinois, Massachusetts, California, and on and on. Reagan's 1984 Morning in America ad. Cut one, go. It's morning again in America. Today, more men and women will go to work than ever before in our country's history. With interest rates at about half the record highs of 1980. Nearly 2,000 families today will buy new homes, more than at any time in the past four years. This afternoon, 6,500 young men and women will be married. And with inflation at less than half of what it was just four years ago, they can look forward with confidence to the future. It's morning again in America. And under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger and better. Why would we ever want to return to where we were less than four short years ago? That is that was and is a beautiful ad. And it was an extremely effective ad. Now I'm a Reaganite through and through. And in the Republican primaries leading up to this general election of Donald Trump as president, at first, I wasn't sure who to endorse. But eventually I endorsed Ted Cruz. And as in any combat, the president himself will tell you this, I strongly supported Ted Cruz. After all, I'd known Ted Cruz for decades. I helped him in his primary in Texas. I helped him get the support of other conservatives as well. At one point, my stepson worked for Ted Cruz. That had nothing to do with it. It was after the election. Or no, it was during the election. 
but one had nothing to do with the other. And I was opposed to Donald Trump. And yet during the primaries, and Sean Hannity will tell you this, I kept pulling back and back and back from criticism of Trump. Because as time went on, I liked him. As time went on, I liked his policies. And then when Ted Cruz lost the Republican convention, and Donald Trump rolled in there with by far the most delegates, wasn't even close really. I told my family and I told Sean, among others, I will be strongly endorsing this man for president. Some conservatives went in a different direction. They actually sat out the election or they voted for Hillary Clinton. You cannot be a serious conservative and vote for Hillary Clinton. And then in, starting in September, we strongly endorsed the president. He gave a great Gettysburg speech. He talked about the Supreme Court justices he would pick. He started calling me and asking me my views of a variety of things, and I provided them to him as well. I must tell you something. As somebody who spent eight years in the Reagan administration, and as a very young man, campaigned for him in 1976 in Pennsylvania when very few others did and campaigned for him again in 1980 and committed eight years of my young life to his administration eight of my best years Donald Trump is a great president he is a great president and I say that as a constitutional conservative and I say that as a capitalist which is exactly why they're trying to destroy him. If he wasn't a great president, they wouldn't be trying to destroy him, now would they? He is all that stands between us and them who hate your guts, who will shutter your businesses, throw you out of jobs, steal your private property rights, and turn your constitution inside out. And he's a greater president today than he was two or three months ago when this virus came out. Because he showed his belief in the constitutional system. He showed his belief in the American people. You don't have to agree with every decision. I fight these guys on spending all the time. But I hate to tell you this, I don't have any president that doesn't stop spending. It's a bad problem that we have. He has done more to take on China than any president ever. Communist China, which is our enemy, which rolled all over Barack Obama. He has done more since Ronald Reagan to confront Russia than any president up to his time. More than the Bushes. Clearly more than Obama and Clinton. So what's the problem here? They don't like his style? What, they like Nancy Pelosi's style? She's a horrid cancer on the tuchus of our body politic. 
They don't like his style. Would this be the same left that loves the degrading of our culture? Is this the same left that trashes evangelical Christians and people of faith? Is this the same left that says boys can go to girls' rooms and girls can go to boys' rooms? Is this the same left that uses the F word left and right? You mean them don't like the way Donald Trump tweets? The New York Times hates evangelical Christians, hates Orthodox Jews, hates people of faith. The New York Times hates the founding of this nation. A Pulitzer Prize was just handed to the woman who is the force at the New York Times behind the 1619 Project, which lies about American history. This is the same media that embraces these saboteurs at the FBI and the intelligence agencies, the saboteurs in the Obama administration, the Department of Justice, who violated every tradition and every effort to keep law enforcement and investigators out of politics. This is the same media that not only covered up for them, but aided and abetted them, fielding their leaks and reporting them as facts. But they don't like the way Trump tweets? Whistleblowers are showing up everywhere. What's a whistleblower? It's a disgruntled bureaucrat. How many whistleblowers testified during all the years Franklin Roosevelt was president of the United States? None. How many whistleblowers testified during the Kennedy administration? None. During the Johnson administration? None. Certainly none that got the attention that they do when Trump is president of the United States. He is a great president. He's remaking the federal judiciary into the judiciary that it's supposed to be. Nonpartisan, nonpolitical constitutionalists. That's what these judges and justices are supposed to be. The president knows this instinctively. He's not an ideologue. He knows this instinctively. The president of the United States understands that open borders... Open borders is a disastrous policy. No Republican can survive. No nation state can survive without actual enforced borders. And none has. And he knows that the Democrats are doing this in order to change the makeup of the citizenry. I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about voting preferences. The Democrats are playing the race card. The Democrats are playing the anti-citizen card. They're destroying our electoral system. No voter IDs. Can't ask people if they're citizens. The president's fighting them. He's a great president. He slashed taxes. He has slashed regulations more than the Reagan administration did, which is saying something. Because he wants to give you your liberty and power back. 
you individuals in your homes, in your communities, your place of work. This country is about you. He knows this. He's built up the United States military, even the Washington, D.C., and the politicians there were destroying our military. They were destroying our military. They equated giving food stamps with men and women who are serving in the uniform and putting their lives on the line. He said, no more of this stuff, no more of the sequestration. I'm not going to put up with this. And even if you disagree with a policy of his, he's always concerned about his country and the people in this country. He loves this country and he loves the people in this country. Can you say the same about Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi? Can you say the same about Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and the things they have said about you? And the things they want to do to you? This is a president who's standing up politely, civilly, but nonetheless firmly against governors who have their boots on the throat of their citizens. He's done the balancing act between the science and liberty better than any other politician. Better than Cuomo, better than Newsom, better than Pritzker, better than all of them. He sees 30 million people newly seeking unemployment compensation, and God knows how many bankruptcies out there, how many families destroyed, and he wants to address it. He wants to fix it. The New York Times does not. The Washington Post does not. Cable news does not. He does. Every day during the course of this virus, he's been at the White House, on duty, working 20 hours a day, 24 hours a day. You can see it. Pelosi has been in hiding at her estate at Napa Valley. Schumer's been in hiding in his apartment somewhere in New York. Trump has been with governors. He's been with CEOs. He's been with the scientists. He's been with the military. And he's done truly a fantastic job. But they want to destroy him and make you think that he hasn't. A fantastic job. He's a great president. I'll be right back. Mark In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition.
rise of 1980. Nearly 2,000 families today will buy new homes, more than at any time in the past four years. This afternoon, 6,500 young men and women will be married. And with inflation at less than half of what it was just four years ago, they can look forward with confidence to the future. It's morning again in America. And under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger and better. Why would we ever want to return to where we were less than four short years ago? All right. Now, do we have a minute left, Mr. Producer? Do we have a minute left or not? Let's begin the uh, the uh, John Wilkes Booth Project, a.k.a. the Lincoln Project ad. Cut three. Go. There's morning in America. Today, more than 60,000 Americans have died from a deadly virus Donald Trump ignored. With the economy in shambles, more than 26 million Americans are out of work. The worst economy in decades. Trump bailed out Wall Street, but not Main Street. This afternoon, millions of Americans will apply for unemployment. And with their savings... All right, that's enough. So you see... It's filled with left-wing lies and distortions. Trump isn't responsible for 60,000 Americans dying. In fact, he was among the first politicians, quote-unquote, people in Washington to recognize the danger. The economy was not in a shambles. It's in a shambles now, and he's trying to revive it for a second time during the first term of his presidency. And it's these governors, Cuomo, Newsom, Pritzker, Murphy, doofus in Michigan, and so many of these blue state clowns, and I might add Hogan, that slob in Maryland, they're the ones who are holding back the economy now, not the president, and I can go on and on and on to take this Reagan ad and try and play games, just shows you what a bunch of putzes these are I'll be right back Seeking the truth never gets old Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Liberal media bias. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. A social, a social distancing has uh, become ubiquitous. It's more important than ever to call, text, or video chat with our loved ones, correct? Which means you need a low-cost wireless service that still is a great quality of service. This is very important. Well, you can feel confident with Pure Talk USA. Pure Talk USA covers 99% of all American households. And during the month of May, you can enjoy unlimited talk, text, plus one gig of data for as little as $20 a month. If you're an AMAC member, you can get plans as low as $10 a month. That's real money that Pure Talk is putting back in your pocket during the time when you need it. And you don't suffer in quality. In fact, the quality is magnificent. 
And you can even keep your number and your phone. It's that simple. Pure Talk's customer service is all American-based. They're the only wireless provider that AMAC endorses and that I, Mark Levin, endorse. So you know they care about you, you Levinites, and their customers. Switch to Pure Talk today and start saving every single month. Dial pound 250 and then say the keyword Mark Levin. Give it a try. Dial pound 250 and say Mark Levin, pound 250, promo code Mark Levin. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. And it's that and a whole lot more. All right, let's go to a few calls, shall we? Yes, we can. Let's go to Tina, Troy, Michigan on Sirius Satellite. Go. Hello, Tina. Hi. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm Tina from Troy, Michigan. Yes. And um, Gretchen (laughs) is out of control. What's her name again? Um, well, Gretchen Whitmore. I'm just kidding. Yes. Oh, I was going to say Gretchen Whitmore. Um, uh, yes, it's just that when I saw her on national, it was CNN TV, singing that, oh, most Michigan people here don't feel this way. She is totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Outrageously wrong. Very stupid woman. Very stupid, heartless woman. You can't plant things in your backyard. You can't. I mean, I mean, just... You can tell how to, out of touch she is. And the media love her. They keep promoting her, particularly the Constipated News Network and MSLSD. <laughs> Absolutely. And what really gets my goiter is um, Dingle. The first protest that we had, the first protest um, in cars and stuff, that she actually came on and said, with the swastika, the um, swastika flags and, and um, all these other um Terrible right. things that she saw at the yes. protesters and people in their cars. She felt so sad, so sad. And then Whitmore to say ignorant. I mean, I, I just get so irate that she is. First of all, just to clarify this for the nation and the media that's monitoring this program. We, the people, are the patriots. We, the people, are the ones talking about the Declaration and the Constitution. We, the people, are talking about individual liberty and freedom. We the people are talking about working and getting our businesses back. Now, while there may be one or two or a handful of people out there carrying these disgusting flags and so forth, that has nothing to do with we the people, period. And they know it. Conservatism has nothing to do with any of these things. The Klan was born out of a defeated Democrat Party in the South, and it lasted for decades and decades. Did you know this, Tina? Right up into uh, the FDR presidency, where it was embraced by the Democrat Party. 1924, the Klan bake, right there in Madison Square Garden, was embraced by the Democrat Party. Are you aware of this, Tina? No, it was not. No, it was are, you, not. are you aware that the first appointment to the United States Supreme Court was a man who'd been a lawyer for the Klan in Alabama, Hugo Black? And that while he sat there as a Supreme Court justice, his son would say later, he absolutely hated the Catholics and the Jews. Are you aware of this? No, that's why I listen to your show. (laughs) And we can go on and on and on. And we don't need lectures from the New York Times about who's carrying what flags because the New York Times covered up the Holocaust for most of the Holocaust. uh, And whatever it did report, it stuck it in the back pages of its newspaper So who was supporting the Third Reich and the Nazi regime then? I would argue, by omission, it would be the New York Times. I don't know anybody 
anybody who supports the Nazis, who is a neo-Nazi, who is a Klansman. Do you know anybody who's any of those things, Tina? No. Of course not. So when they point a finger at we, law-abiding, civil, tax-paying citizens, they're really pointing a finger at themselves. And I might add the middle finger. Tina, thank you for your call, my friend. Let us continue, shall we? Yes, we can. All right. Lynn, Santa Clara, California. I know exactly where it is. The great KSFO. Go. Hi, Mark. Hello. Hi, this is Lynn. I've got to share something with you. Yes. Um, I went to work this morning. I worked for one of the big box stores. Was told that in Santa Clara County now it's required that we all wear a mask. I'm like, okay, like, okay. Oh. Well, what, what's the county next to Santa Clara? Oh, gosh. Well, whatever it is, shop over there. <laughs> no, no, no. I work for one of the stores. And oh. I was told, oh, I have to wear this. And I'm like, I'm not wearing this. I said, you know what? I've already had this flu, this coronavirus. Oh, you and did? It. And it was awful. Well, then, well, then you're not going to, then you're not in danger of getting it or giving it. I know. I know. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. You know, well, just put it around your neck just in case. And it's like, no. I said, that is against my right as a person. I am a senior citizen, and I said, this is bull. I so said, you I, had this virus? In, in February, the very beginning of February, mm-hmm. yes. All right, well, yeah. well, we're glad you're feeling better now. Thank you, Lynn. Now, listen, when I go into a crowded area, relatively, I do wear this mask. I didn't before. But not because I'm told to, not because anyone... Because I spent money and bought these damn things when they were telling us they don't work and don't buy them. When the government tells me not to do something, I tend to do it. Like I have an AR-15. It's not even my favorite weapon. But I have one because they keep wanting to outlaw it. So what the hell's with this weapon? I got it. It's a fairly mundane weapon. There's nothing particularly important about it. I much prefer my 357. But that's the way it is. So anyway... Uh, you know, masks won't help. Masks won't help. Let's see. You say there's a virus. It can be spread human to human. Uh, little spittle beads can uh, come in. I think I'll get some masks. And I got some. And now they said, well, you ought to have a mask. You ought to wear a burqa. You ought, you ought, to, you ought to be the bubble man. You, ought to, you know, whatever, whatever. And uh, so I have these masks. And I wasn't wearing them. And now I go and I put them on. But not all the time. In fact, not most of the time. I got the rubber gloves, too. I don't, I'm not even sure why I have these rubber gloves. And nobody, Mr. Producer, have you noticed all these rubber gloves out there? What are the proctologists going to do? What are they going to do? Is there a shortage of gloves for proctologists? I'm curious to know. The New York Times would know. Wouldn't they know? All right, let's continue, shall we? Let's go, Evan. We hawk in New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hello, hello. How are you, Mr. Levin? Very well, thank you, sir. Okay, this is Evans from Weehawken. Um, okay, is it so Evans with a plural or Evan? Uh, with an S. Really? That's fascinating. Yeah, I think I'm going to call myself Marx from now on. There you go. Um... The deep blue septic system is not going to go away. So the what? We got the big, the deep blue septic system. Oh, all right. So we've got to get away. 
we've got to find a way to get these people to understand what it is that they're missing out by watching all this CNN and uh, CBS and all these other liberal stations. We've got to get a message to them, a blitz campaign of the major accomplishments. Well, I don't know how we do this. I mean, I've got a big radio show. I'm on Fox. I've got our digital TV. I read my... How are we going to have a blitz among these people? The, the, the uh, RNC. Well, I don't care who does it. How? Uh, commercials, TV commercials. Well, we do run TV commercials. The president does. But here's the good news. Very few people actually watch CNN or MSNBC. Uh, Very few the, people watch them. I think the, uh, the New York Times has more influence than any of those. I really do. Okay. But, but uh, there, there are commercials that are going to run. Are there com- it's much deeper than running commercials in a campaign. It's a cultural problem. The, uh, the progressive movement has conquered and devoured most of our institutions. So you have people being brainwashed in government schools and colleges and universities. Uh, you have people being brainwashed in law school, even medical school. Uh, you have Hollywood through the culture brainwashing people, uh, comedians brainwashing people. And these are stupid people who are doing this, but nonetheless they're doing it. So I say, let's run more commercials. That's not going to fix it. Uh, well, somehow they got to hear the other side of the story. And if they're not listening to conservative radio and they're not listening to the... Um, no, the, the way you have to do it is you and everybody listening has to speak to people directly, whether they're your neighbors, your colleagues, your family members, your friends. Um, uh, you, we have an army of tens of millions of people who think this way. And I say this all the time, and I said it in Liberty and Tyranny. There's no media platform we have that's going to fix this. There's no school that we have that's going to fix this. They overwhelm us. We're the army that has to communicate with our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our neighbors and colleagues and spread the word. On election day, we have to be the precinct workers who turn out the people. It's not good enough to say somebody has to do something or we have to do something. Everybody has to do it themselves in their own role. You see what I'm saying, Evans? Out there, and they've got to show their voice. Thank you for your call. Missed every point I'm making, Mr. Producer. They have to do this. They have to. No, Evans, you have to do it. You have to be Thomas Paine. You have to be Patrick Henry. Not everybody else out there. They have to this, and the RNC has to that. That's not how it works. Once again, if you're an activist, you understand this. It's not, they have to run the polls, they have to put out the ads, that, no. It's not we, it's you, it's me, it's I, we. Together, yes, but you in your own life have to choose a role. It could be heavy-duty activism or minimum activism. Pick up the phone, have conversations with friends. I walk my dog, I have these conversations all the time with my neighbors. Most of them are solid, by the way, but some aren't. That's what you have to do. Not we and they and the RNC. You have to do it. I have to do it. I'll be right back. Listen to this list. Meat shortages leave angry Wendy's diners asking, where's the beef? 
Tyson to keep slowing production. Rotting food, hungry masses, chaotic supply lines, system upended. Consumers head directly to farms. One of the world's best restaurants might not reopen. White House winding down coronavirus task force. Whistleblower failed to prepare sought quick virus fix. HHS operated on cronyism. Trump cheers on governors as they ignore his own guidelines. Over, under, two-thirds doubt death count. COVID toes are emblematic of how much is still unknown. Man tests positive three times in two months. Safe becomes rural tourism pitch to distancing public. Fed paper finds pandemic a century ago fueled Nazi rise. Virus afflicted to 2020 looks like 28, excuse me, 1918, despite science's march. Here's the world's sick map, the America sick map. Trump, make America great again and again. Poll approval, 43%. 70,000 dead. Texas governor admits reopen danger. California gets bailout. Shopper uses Klan hood at face covering. Update, model shows 134,000 deaths by August. An unrelenting crush of cases. Mutant strain more contagious. Race for vaccine raises ethical questions. D.C. region, new hotspot. Oh, and on and on and on. There's your Drudge Report. Wow. Very depressing. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. What do you make of that, Mr. Producer? My God. We got all these hits, you see. Hits, 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 and hits. And we put the thing, the links in red. We get like triple the hits. It's unbelievable the hits we're getting here. It's, it's, it's record, record number of hits here. But the virus and people are, oh, we got these hits. They're fascinating. Very balanced. ExpressVPN is the software that I and thousands of my fans use every day to protect our data online. In the time since I started using ExpressVPN, hacking methods have grown even more sophisticated. I'm sure many of you are working from home these days, and without your IT department to protect you from online threats, it's important that you take action on your own to secure your devices you use for work. And that's why I recommend using ExpressVPN for the best online protection possible. And one of the easiest ways to secure internet data is with ExpressVPN. You click one button on your computer or smartphone and you're protected. So my only question is, why haven't you gotten ExpressVPN yet? Visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash mark, expressvpn.com slash mark, and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN absolutely free. Protect your internet today with the VPN I trust to keep my data safe. That's ExpressVPN slash Mark. Let us continue, shall we? Let's see. Greg, Jessup, Georgia, on the Mark Levin app. Greg, how are you, sir? Is everybody still uh, alive in Georgia, or what's going on there? I understand... Uh, the governor's opening the economy, and uh, we know that can happen. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, this is Greg, uh, Mr. Levin. Uh, thank yes. you for taking my call. Uh, yes. Great one. Uh, I really adore you. Um, uh, how, many, how many people have died in Georgia from heart disease? Do we know? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I've been a paramedic for 25 years. but How I many people have died in Georgia f- from uh, diabetes? A lot. How many people have died in Georgia from Alzheimer's? A lot. How many people have died in Georgia from strokes? 
I'm looking all over the website, so I don't see any of this. Now, these are human beings, are they not, Greg? Yes, they are. And these are human beings, when the toll is all said and done, because the economy's collapsed, that we're going to find massive increases in the death of our fellow human beings, our fellow citizens, that have nothing to do with this virus, and have a lot to do with the way mayors and governors handle this, this, uh, this crisis. And people not going to the hospitals, and because the economy, people not afford, can't afford to go to these hospitals, hospitals shutting, doctors giving up, nurses giving up. How come it's only the death toll on the virus, and we don't see the death toll everywhere else? How come our, our federal scientists and our media are not spend, they spend more time on this fat slob George Conway, who's sort of a, uh, an Anglo uh, Kim Jong-un, if you will, from the back, there, there, there's no, you can't distinguish the two. And here we have Americans dying, literally, from all these other maladies, and not a word. Nothing. Anyway, you're at EMT. Go right ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, what I was worried, uh, thinking about was um, uh, <clears throat> our Governor Kemp was one of the first ones, uh, maybe the first one to start reopening the state. And the first... The news was, whether it was real or not, was that uh, uh, President Trump was uh, not happy with that. And I was just wondering if that's real news or not, or did he back? Well, we heard the president was critical of uh, some of the things that he was doing, you know, tattoo shops and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I didn't agree with the president, but the president gave his opinion. But let's keep something in mind. But for what the president was saying six, seven weeks ago much of the economy wouldn't be open because he was the one pressing to open the economy. Then he pulled back for 30 days and he's pressing again, for which he's under vicious assault. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader Mark Levin Hello America Mark Levin here our number 877-381-3811 877-381-3811 for those of you who don't watch MSLSD which would be the overwhelming vast majority of the American people, and certainly in this audience, uh, it's not worth it, so don't. But I have to suffer through some of these clips, so I figure you might as well. There's a reprobate that comes on there now and then. His name is Donnie Douche. I didn't name him. What his name is? Double D Donnie Douche. Double D Donnie Douche was on the Morning Schmo Show, speaking of. And uh, was very upset about the president's appearance at the Lincoln Memorial. Who is Double D Donnie Douche? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. 
some midget they dragged off the street? I have no idea. And I say that with all due respect, of course. Didn't he make his money in oil or something? But the reason why Joe Scarborough, a loser in everything that he does, the reason why Scarborough brings him on is because he likes douche. He really does. Double D, Donnie Douche. He likes the guy. And he'll attack the president. So these people are un-American. They're unpatriotic. They're real slime to be trashing a president in the middle of this stuff. So let's take a listen at Joe Scarborough, the morning schmo, and Double D Donnie Douche. Cut 13, go. His, his behavior, his temperament gets worse by the day. He becomes more unmoored every day. Now this is pretty funny coming from a psychopath like the morning schmo who walks into walls every day. This guy is broadcasting, as I've told you forever, out of Jupiter, Florida, an area I know well, with a scene of Washington, D.C. behind his head. What's the point of that? Why don't you have the palm trees in the ocean, let everybody know what's going on. Hey, we're very transparent here, as he's always been, he and Meek, of course. Do you know why they're not on radio anymore? Because nobody would listen to them. Do you want to know why they're on MSLSD with no ratings? Because MSLSD is owned by Comcast, which apparently is a propaganda operation. Anyway, slow-talking, incoherent Joe Scarborough with Double D Donnie Douche. Go ahead. Brilliant display by, by a little man. Uh, desperately trying to look presidential. Oh, the one, the one there. That's Donnie Douche now. Uh, what an impotent display by a little man. Desperately trying to look presidential. Go ahead. Because he's been behaving anything but. You would think that every day he gets to stand up in front of experts in, in a world crisis. No better opportunity to look presidential. But we kind of see, obviously, the emperor has no clothes there. And to me... Wow, was, wow, wow, man, you're, you're as sharp as they come. The emperor has no clothes. Where did we hear that before, Mr. Producer? Oh, I don't know. No wonder they brought on Double D Donnie Douche. It's a man, very wise man. Go ahead. Vulgar exploitation. One more reaching into Vulgar his Vulgar exploitation. See, these guys are schizophrenic. They're psychopaths. The president's there at the Lincoln Memorial, which Fox apparently and the president agreed to. The American people really enjoy looking at the statue of Lincoln, and there's the president speaking in that memorial. This, Donny Douche says he ought to look presidential, so he's there. And they attack him. If he were on a ship, they'd attack him. If he's in the Oval Office, they attack him. If he's in the Rose Garden, they attack him. If he's in Arizona, they attack him. And who is this puke, Donnie Douche? What has he ever done for the American people? Nothing. Not a damn thing. Go ahead. Ah, shut up, you idiot. Why don't they bring back that guy, Mark Halpern, the sexual harasser? In the little inner circle they have there with the, uh, with the Scarboroughs. May I call them the Scarboroughs? Mika Brzezinski. We remember her father. Oh. But he wasn't an anti-Semite, her father. I promise you. No, no, he was not. So you shouldn't call his father an anti-Semite, Mr. Producer. 
He was not an anti-Semite, her father. Is big new? No, wasn't it? No matter what you... No, no, he wasn't. No. Neither was Carter. No, 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 no. It's a funny thing. Trump is the greatest president that the state of Israel has ever seen. In the United States, obviously. Carter, among the worst. Has Carter ever been called an anti-Semite? No. Not at all. No, no, it's Trump, you see. Trump supports the Jewish community, who supports the state of Israel, whose grandkids are Jewish, whose daughter converted to Orthodox Judaism, whose son-in-law, he's the anti-Semite. This is how the media work. They are sick bastards. They really are. More from Joe Scarborough, Cut 14, go. Now it's their own hospitals in red state America. Their own hospitals in red state. What are you talking about, you illiterate buffoon? Now it's their own hospitals in red state America. Go ahead. Places that are ill-equipped to handle even the slightest of surges. And that's what concerns me about the coronavirus coming to middle America and the president delivering a very mixed message that bluntly uh, makes... No, he's not delivering a mixed message. It's just that the left side of your brain can't coordinate with the right side of your brain as little as they are to begin with. You know, God does some some funny things. Some people might say he has a good sense of humor. You look at a guy like Joe Scarborough, tiny pea brain, Huge bulbous nose. Now, what's that all about? Why would, why would God do this to this guy? Tiny pea brain, huge bulbous nose. Anyway, go ahead. Supporters in middle America in these areas that could be Well, bad. it's glad to know. It's good to hear Joe Scarborough talking about middle America. When's the last time he was in middle America? In his flights between Jupiter, Florida and uh, the Hamptons. You know, uh, Mika, middle America, and uh, they're not never ready. When's the last time he got off his fat ass and went anywhere? And I say that with all due respect. Go ahead. Badly affected and that are so ill-equipped to handle this virus. Uh, it's making a lot of these people still call the coronavirus a hoax. Nobody's called it a hoax. You're the hoax. Nobody's called it a hoax. The president was talking about the Democrats in the press. He's not talking about the virus. This has been demonstrated time and time again, but he can't help it, Joe. It's like Pavlov's dog without the dog. He walks under the same wall every day. The president never said the coronavirus was a hoax. He said, you're a hoax. Your show's a hoax. The media are hoax. Yes, he has said that. He never said the coronavirus is a hoax. The guy's moved heaven and earth to deal with this virus. Now he's saying, okay, it's been 50 days, 60 days. We got to give the American people some jobs back and have their businesses back so they can live. We've got hospitals closing down. We have other sick people out there as a result of this. God knows the other damage that's going on. The president is saying, let's have a balanced approach. Here's my guidelines. Some of these governors aren't, so he's raising questions about them, as he should. He's a leader. I mean, they want the money of the federal. And this guy Cuomo, all that. 
You know, actually, let's play it. The dumbest governor, well, there's so many of them, actually. So many of them. I got clips here from Schumer. Honestly, I cannot, I, I said I hate Schumer. Mark, that's a strong word. You mean Schumer's a strong word? No, hate. Well, yeah, I agree. It's a strong word. I hate him. It's also the truth. I hate the guy. He's a useless reprobate. That's what he is. All right, I'm looking for this. uh, Let me see here if we can find it. You can sing show tunes or something as I look for it, ladies and gentlemen. I am looking for... Can you find this, Mr. Producer? Cut 12, go. The Democratic states have been supporting them for years. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Have been supporting who for years? The Democratic states have been supporting for years? How so? How are the Republican states being supported by the Democratic states? Go ahead. New York, every year, $29 billion more paid in than it gets out. Well, and how do you calculate this? Are you including Medicaid? What, what, what are you calculating? Illegal aliens? What are you doing? And if that's true, do you realize what a lousy governor you have, New York? He wants more and more federal involvement. Now, if more and more federal involvement and federal spending means Democrat states are subsidizing Republican states, which is so asinine. But let's play along. If that's what it means, then why does he want more and more federal money? Because more and more federal money means, according to him, the red states are taking money from the blue states. That must not be the case. Because it's the blue states that keep asking for more federal money. Why don't you run your state like a man, you idiot? Slash taxes, slash regulations have serious priorities. The welfare of your people, rather than infanticide and solar panels. What are you, an idiot? The answer is yes, he's an idiot. If his name wasn't Cuomo, what would he be doing? What would he be doing? Be standing on the corner with a raincoat right next to Schumer. But it's not raining. Well, you're missing my point. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. PJ Media. 
Matt Margolis, top advisor to Joe Biden, admitted Obama and Biden botched the H1N1 response. By the way, Biden doesn't even know it's H1N1. He calls it N1H1. Well, whatever. Can you imagine Biden being a, uh, a proctologist? Can you imagine this, Mr. Producer, Mr. Colescreen, a proctologist? He'd be saying, open wide now. He'd get both ends of the body wrong, I think. I think he would. Gynecologists, don't even get me started there. In the midst of the global coronavirus pandemic, Joe Biden has tried to present himself as the candidate best equipped to manage a crisis. But as history has shown, he's perhaps the worst. You only need to go back 11 years to see how the Obama-Biden administration handled the H1N1 swine flu pandemic to see it. Biden himself was responsible for sending mixed messages, particularly during an appearance on the Today Show on NBC when he said he'd tell his family not to fly on planes or ride the subway. I wouldn't go anywhere in confined places right now, Biden explained. It's not that it's going to Mexico. It's, it's that you're in a confined aircraft when one person sneezes, it goes everywhere through the aircraft. As Politico noted, the Obama administration was forced to clean up the mess Biden made, quote-unquote, because he'd contradicted Obama's reassurances that there was no need to panic. Biden was actually probably right, though. According to the CDC, the H1N1, that is, the swine flu, would go on to infect nearly 61 million Americans. And Ron Klain, who was Biden's chief of staff at the time, and is currently advising his campaign, says it was mere luck that H1N1 wasn't more deadly. Wow, we want that guy in charge, don't we? Oh, yeah. It's purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the great mass casualty events in American history, Klain said, of H1N1 in 2019. It had nothing to do with us doing anything right. I'm quoting the guy. It just had to do with luck. If anyone thinks that this can't happen again, they don't have to go back to 1918. They just go back to, go, uh, just go back to 2009, 2010, and imagine a virus with a different lethality. And you can just do the math on that. The true fatality rate for the coronavirus is not known yet, but here's what the death count would have looked like for H1N1 if it had had the same lethality as the coronavirus based on various estimates of its case fatality rate. So remember now, the guy in charge of it was Biden's right-hand man. And he says, it's luck. Nothing we did luck that it wasn't worse. WHO, 2.0 million deaths. Dr. Fauci, 1.2 million deaths, and goes on. So Mr. Klain was absolutely right that the Obama-Biden administration was essentially lucky that H1N1 wasn't more lethal. It had only a 0.02% case fatality rate. So despite their inability to contain the virus, they didn't close travel with other countries or implement social distancing. The widespread infection resulted in the deaths of 12,649 Americans over the course of the year. Klain points to the failure of the Obama-Biden administration to produce enough doses of the vaccine as the primary failure of the response. You paying attention, Slow Joe and Mika Shmika? Everybody listening? Double D, Donnie Douche? Of course they're not listening. The Obama-Biden administration had predicted in the summer of 2009 that they would have 160 million H1N1 vaccine doses by late October, but ended up with fewer than 30 million. Listening, Maggie Haberman, if that is your name, Maggie. How about Philly Bump? What are the other names? Oh, 
Peter Baker, Peter Baker, if Peter Baker's name was Richard Baker, Mr. Producer, I think we'd be calling him Dick Baker, don't, wouldn't we? Something like that. That's that, yeah, that would be a nickname, I would say. What about Dan Balls, B-A-L-Z, at the Washington Compost? Or his nickname, I understand, is Dan No Balls. According to a study by Purdue University scholars, this failure costs lives because the H1N1 vaccine would arrive, quote, too late to help most Americans who will be infected during the flu season. Oh, how fast we forget the great Obama Biden years and the Michelle Obama years. Wasn't she great? All the great things she did. What did she do? I don't know, the foggiest idea. No idea. Another phony, another fraud, quite frankly. Are we allowed to say that? Of course we are. Even Politico couldn't deny the facts, ladies and gentlemen. An extensive review, I quote, of the handling of H1N1, including the examination of public records and congressional testimony, suggests the response was not the panacea portrayed by the Biden camp and its defenders, they explained. Biden's role in the response has even been overstated, not just by Biden, but by Barack Melhouse Benito Obama, who in his endorsement video credited Biden with helping him manage H1N1. And I recall that Schumer and Pelosi... And the other mobsters were demanding hearings at the time. They wanted Dr. Fauci. No, they weren't. And no, they didn't. We're going to stay on top of this. Can you imagine Biden in charge of the ventilators and the beds and all the rest? Can you imagine that? Biden doesn't even know where his Kleenex is. Can you imagine this? Seriously. But don't worry how competent people surrounding him. Yeah, we see that with the H1N1. Very competent. Just needs Michelle Obama as a vice president. She did such a fantastic job as first lady. Nobody knows what she did, but it was fantastic. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, a proud fanatic for the Constitution. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Now the media is going to create a meat shortage. There may be a shortage, a shortage of sorts out there, but now the media are going to create a meat shortage. Everyone's going to run to the, hey, pack meat away, even vegetarians and vegans. Hey, we're gonna, but you don't need it. I know, I know, but look, look at that. I got to put it with my toilet paper. How are people enjoying all their toilet paper, Mr. Producer? Their closets are full of toilet paper. But you don't have to eat meat anymore, so maybe you need less toilet paper. I don't know how all that stuff works. Anyway, 
And let me just say this quickly. I've been noticing a change in Nancy Pelosi's looks. Look, I, I, I observe these things. I analyze these things. And over the decades, I've called her Stretch Pelosi because of all the obvious uh, plastic surgery that she's had. And I say this with all due respect, of course. I don't seek to be a provocateur. But I am noticing, since she's been hiding under her wine cellar with her ice cream, that Pelosi's skin is slowly sliding off her face. Have you noticed this, Mr. I want you folks, next time you see a photo of her or a video, look very carefully because I think... What used to be her forehead is now her chin. I've noticed this. Um, And I think she has suffered deeply because of the lack of elective surgery. Yeah, you know, lack of elective surgery. Her face, her her skin sliding off her face. It's... uh, But look, it could be worse. She could look like Chuck Schumer. And look, I'm not putting her down. I'm not putting her down in any respect. I'm just observing. No, no, you don't understand. They can only trash Trump's looks and his family. No, no, no. There's still free speech, I believe. I don't live in Michigan, Mr. Producer. We have a wonderful guest, an old friend of mine, Jenny Beth Martin, Tea Party Patriots. How are you? I am great. It's so good to be with you, Mark. It is always a pleasure, and I get the feel, and I smell, and I sense, and the taste of a resurgence of a grassroots movement against the, particularly these blue state governors. Am I right? Oh, you are absolutely right. People across this country, I think they're getting a taste of what it's like to lose freedom, and they don't want to see that happen. So they're standing up for, for our liberty and to urge their governors to reopen their states. And it's time. It is time to do that. We, we have flattened the curve. We have prepared our hospitals, and we have the means now to transport medical equipment across the country when hot spots happen and spikes happen and it, with the coronavirus, thanks to the work that President Trump and the coronavirus task force did. Now it's time to get these 30 million people who are unemployed back to work. And you and your organization have been prodding this effort, haven't you? We have been prodding it. We, um, and I, I want to be very clear. There are people across this country, like I am in Georgia, and the people who started the Reopen Georgia effort are business owners and people who were affected personally by the shutdown. So I don't want to overstate the credit that the people who are organizing these events around the country are doing. What we have been doing through Tea Party Patriots is making sure that we're letting our supporters know in various states when the events are happening, where they're happening, and encouraging our people to go and show up and and be there to show support for reopening the states. And uh, but this is quintessential Tea Party, isn't it? The federal constitution, state constitutions. I, I, I'm wondering, and we really have to look at this closely. Where these, um, these, these also kind of martial, law, soft martial law powers, these governors get these powers from. And my concern is, um, Jenny Beth, is that they're going to get used to it. Yes. You know, Mark, that is one of those things that really concerns me a great deal about what we're seeing. And and the I I don't want them to think that they can just declare states of emergency and go and wipe out all of our rights just with the stroke of a pen. Um, As Americans, I think that we are the most compassionate 
charitable people on the face of the earth. And so when we find out that we need to do things to help our fellow Americans and to make sure our hospitals are prepared, we stepped up and did what it, it, it took. And on top of that, we're innovative and we are competitive and we are entrepreneurial. So we found ways to make ventilators and reconfigure factories and for ventilators and masks and other per, um, personal protective equipment. And we will do that when we have to, to make sure that we're taking care of our fellow Americans. But in extraordinary circumstances, we have to make sure that the governors and the people across this country understand it cannot, this cannot become a routine and a, a, in, in any way become a habit. Are you noticing they're calling the vast majority of law-abiding American citizens who are protesting trying to tie them in with the, not, the neo-Nazis and the Klan. And uh, this was something they tried to do to the Tea Party patriots and the Tea Party movement as well, right? It really, I, I have been shocked actually at just how quickly they went to that playbook that they used for the Tea Party movement. They didn't wait um, months and months like they did with the Tea Party movement. We we first saw it almost, well, it was over a year from when we began. We really saw those accusations, the hard accusations of racism. With this, it happened um, within days of the people beginning to protest. And that's what they do. If they can't win, they're going to attack on very personal levels so that pe- to try to discredit the messenger by uh, by accusing them of very vile things. But these people are not, they're not racist, they're not vile, they're not Nazis. They're people who, up until eight weeks ago, were providing for themselves, for their families. They were more than likely job creators who were helping other people have jobs so they could provide for themselves and their families. And all of a sudden, on the turn of a dime, their world got upended, and they're not sure how they're going to be able to make ends meet anymore. And it's, I understand. Mark, you know this about me very well. I went through personal financial crisis, and it was because of a business failure. So I know what the business owners across this country, I've been there. I know what they're thinking. I know what their worries are. I know what keeps them up at night. And I've been doing all that I can to help them by working day and night to help reopen this country. Why do you think the media are so opposed to Americans having jobs and small businesses succeeding and so supportive of a thoroughly centralized government? Could it be because most of the people in the media have absolutely no connection or understanding or relationship with areas out of Washington, D.C. or outside of New York and that they basically are big government leftists because that's where the power is, and their power as phony journalists is also with the big government. I think that that has a lot to do with it. I don't think that they understand. They're, they're not business owners and they're not entrepreneurs, most of the people who are in the media. They are reporters, and, and they have their job to do, and, and they do their job. And we can talk about how well they do their job or not, and you have a great book that that outlines that very well. The fact is that they don't understand. I don't think that they really understand the ins and outs and how hard it is to keep this economy going so that we have this amazing life that we have in America that we had up until eight weeks ago. 
they actually think that there are non-essential jobs in this country. What they don't understand is that every, every single job is important because every single thing that is produced is is meeting somebody's demand and helping the it just it continues the money flows and the production flows and i don't think they understand how economics work at no all. they they think wealth comes from congress when wealth actually comes from people producing things and providing services they have no idea where the food comes from on their table and they have no interest they have no idea where their silk ties come from and they have no interest or their silk scarves or their, uh, or, or their cotton shirts or anything of the sort. People are producing these things, people who they don't know, who they don't meet, and who they pretend to have a connection with. They have no connection with them whatsoever. And if this virus has done anything, it's done horrific things. But if it's done anything, what it's also done is it's exposed the media once and for all for the psychopaths, the reprobates, and the hardcore leftists that the vast majority of them actually are. I really believe this. Yes, I think that you're exactly right. And I think it also just shows how willing they are to sensationalize things. I've been shocked at how how much they have sensationalized this virus um, without showing all the other effects. They're focused on they're trying to drive eyeballs to their to their television stations or their websites because they get advertiser advertising money for it. They forget that the advertisers get money because we're the people who go and purchase their products. But if we're not working, we can't purchase a product, so the advertisers don't get money, so they don't get paid. Well, but but you know who does get works. paid? The hosts keep getting paid no matter what. Yes, that they is, have their contracts. Is true. Do any of them that look is. like they're suffering financially? No, not at all. Have it, any of them said? Have any of them said that I I'm going to um, show the American people how I feel? I'm going to take a 10 percent cut. Well, Mark, you haven't taken a 10 percent cut. No, but I'll tell you what, I have hugely increased my charitable donations. Hugely. I don't think they no. have. No, we've seen um, Cuomo do his show from his basement and make a big big deal out of being. Oh sick, yes. But we we haven't seen haven't seen those kind of. Um, the real sacrifice that it would take to to help the people who are are being hurt because they no longer have the ability to provide for their families. If people want to know where you are, the Tea Party Patriots are, can you please tell us where do they go? Yes, go to teapartypatriots.org. Again, teapartypatriots.org. And every single week we have a list of action items people can take so they can make a difference and stand and fight for liberty. Let's post that up on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. And Jenny Beth, it's a pleasure as always. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Mark. You are welcome. If you're not following me on Twitter, and the guy that runs Twitter is a real twit, by the way. What's that idiot's name? I don't remember. So you're going to do ban me for life? Uh, The twit on Twitter, I can't remember his name. Uh, But... If you're not following me on Twitter, I hope you will. It's Mark Levin Show Twitter. If you're not following me on Facebook, I hope you will. It's Mark Levin Show Facebook. When we post on one, it simultaneously posts on the other, and I post a lot. And we have millions of you who are following us, but we need millions more. We want millions more. And a reminder, all you Levinites out there, can I give you a friendly, soft push to help me out and do the following. Download my podcast 
and just have it just in case. Have it on your laptop, your computer, your Macintosh, your iPad, your iPhone, your Android. I mean, everywhere. Your, uh, your fillings in your teeth. Go to MarkLevinShow.com. Mark, L-E-V-I-N, show.com. That is the mothership, the radio website. When you go there, you'll be on the homepage. Now, at the center top of the homepage, right in the middle, at the top, it says Audio Rewind. You click Audio Rewind. That'll take you to the podcast page, and then you'll have a choice of podcast platforms to download. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast. Most people like Apple. Do whatever you want. And just have it there, just in case. Just in case we leave a station, just in case... There's an infomercial on a station, just in case you're busy, you want to listen to it later. You never know. This is an interesting business. It runs hot and cold. But the podcast gives you the ability to listen to the show with nothing and no one in between. At the same time, I'd like you to listen to our wonderful radio affiliates. They are decent, good people. The ones that run us are, obviously. And they put us on there, and we're greatly, greatly appreciative. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. You ever watch these commercials on TV where these actors do the most embarrassing things and you say to yourself, God, they must really want to be actors. And they're destroying their careers. I just watched one. The guy's putting a Q-tip in his ear. I mean, is this really for now? And then uh, what are you using? That? Then he takes a thing that squirts water in his ear. You ever get water in your ear? Isn't that why you wear earplugs if you need to when you're swimming so you don't get swimmer's ear and an earache? The guy's shooting water... To go. And who's the guy that invented that? <laughs> and then we have a manufacturing line. They come in different colors.